Hey everybody, my name is Alexis Flores and this is Communications AF, a real talk, more communicating. Every single episode, I'll be talking to some brilliant, influential, and kind new and old friends about personal life stories, career moves, and everything else. And tonight, we'll be talking to Dominique Nieves, a Latina actress, entertainer, and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Iron Glove Productions, for which she writes, directs, produces award-winning films, and was awarded the top 6% for NBC's Writers on the Verge. And if that's not enough, she's also a two-time Ivy League grad with real medical experience. Dominique takes pride in combining entertainment and activism. Her most recent narrative film, she directed, highlights the toxic effects of hypermasculinity has on a young boy who hides his emotions behind a Dominican carnival mask. And she cited her own industry insider show, where she interviews professionals in the entertainment industry, hyper-focused on the Latinx community. I'm here today with Dominique Nieves. So I'm so excited to have you on. Um, Dominique, if you would want to introduce yourself. Sure. Hey, my name is Dominique Nieves, and I'm a New Yorkian writer, director, actress. And Alex, Alexis asked me to be here because I've been working on a few projects, especially during the pandemic, that's been opening up access for other creatives. I want to ask you a little bit of, if you can go into detail of like who you are, where you come from, um, your Puerto Rican, New Rican <laughs> side, um, and like your upbringing. Yeah. So I'm from Brooklyn, New York. That's where I grew up. Mm. You know, it's the one that like Biggie Smalls raps about, not that mm-hmm. the one that the hipsters are complaining about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not everybody knows that. And I mean, I love brunch. Mm. I was like, y'all get brunch as soon as I like leave. <laughs> um, I live in the Bronx now, which I like to joke is like all you need to know about me. <laughs> but, you know, I grew up in this really Caribbean area and I had these really hardworking role models, like working class people who were really hustling. And sometimes, you know, we didn't always have the resources that everyone else did. Mm-hmm. But it was like, well, that's okay. You just work harder. Exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that, that can be a little bit grueling, but it really is kind of what you need to, to realize. You know, I do a lot of mentorship. Um, I work with a lot of students and it can be hard. It can be hard sometimes feeling like you're already starting behind, right? Mm-hmm. You're born away from the finish line. You have to get to the, to, you know, away from the starting line before exactly. you can even start the race and then get to the finish line, right? So that's hard. But you know, I think it's okay for us to take time to talk about it, but mm-hmm. sometimes we got to just do the work and get ourselves closer so yeah. that, you know, we, we can't let this be our excuse, unfortunately. That's just how life was, right? No, so, you know, I was the first in my family to graduate. I went to two Ivy League schools because yeah. why not? Um, and then I went to <laughs> medical school because that makes perfect sense. Um, it doesn't make sense for everybody. It makes sense for me. I think the empathy that you need to talk to patients is the same kind of empathy you need to be a storyteller, to be an actress. If you're going to try and portray someone else's life, you really need to have a sense of empathy. That is so true. Yeah. yeah. And then... I was, you know, I was half a doctor. I had an award-winning film on the festival circuit, and then I got really sick. Um, And life was like, oh, you're going to sit down for a little while. And and yeah, and so, you know, I navigated the world of the wheelchair for a long time. Um, Technically still an ambulatory wheelchair user. That's kind of confusing for people, so we can talk about that too. And just getting sick like that kind of made me realize that life wasn't a drop in the bucket. Uh, I think this pandemic is doing that for everybody. I was like, oh, welcome to the party, (laughs) y'all. And so, you know, previously I was kind of happy with having my double life. And I was like, oh, I'll just do that later. Mm -hmm. And then, I, you know, it wasn't super safe for me to be 
on the provider side anymore. I had spent a lot of time on the patient side. And I realized that I think it was time for me to do this other thing that I kind of had always been said, oh, I'll do it later. And I realized I might not get it later. So I got to do it now. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think like, I, you know, I had this idea of like, oh, you just have to work harder. You have to work harder. But when you're sick like that, there is no working harder. Like you mm -hmm. can't just be like, oh, I'm going to work hard and get better today. That's not how it works, sadly. <laughs> you know, so I just, I realized I had to find something that I was so passionate about that even while I was sick, yeah. I could say like, oh, it hurts today. That doesn't matter. I'm going to still do it. And so that's kind of what I did. You know, I won a grant to make this film. I put my character sitting through the whole film <laughs> and I made the film. And that's actually how we met because I, they, you know, they flew me out for the LA premiere and that event was happening around the same time. And so I like really took advantage of my time in LA and, you know, brings me back to this year. I directed another film for this organization. They were going to fly us out again. And then the pandemic happened yeah. and it was just like, damn. And so, you know, and that's, but I really stayed true to who I am and I've been creating opportunities for myself. You know, you just got to readjust. And or that's what me here. Yes. It's amazing. I met you actually last year at the NAHMC um, luncheon and since then had a lot of contact with you and just kept up to date with everything that you're doing. And so I know right now specifically you're working on great projects. Um, but before we get into that, what is it that you, you had? Oh, goodness. Well, okay. First of all, don't do that. And it's okay. Um, so one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm like rolling through a festival and someone's like, why are you in a wheelchair? Super rude. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> and if I'm like, if I'm not, if I'm ambulatory, but I'm like, hey, I kind of think I need to like use an accessible entrance. Mm -hmm. This is for everybody. Don't be like, why? It's because, you know, I wouldn't have asked if I didn't need it. Yeah. Because I told you I do. Um, it doesn't mm -hmm. make me actually less you know, able to do stuff yeah. um, for, it doesn't make me less able to do my job. Sometimes things are a little bit harder for me. It's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are, there's a lot of conflict over like, do we call ourselves disabled? Do we call ourselves, you know, is that rude? And I say, yeah, no, not all of me is disabled. That's mm -hmm. rude. If that's what you think. Uh, but I think the people who are saying, no, call me disabled is because yeah, it is harder. People think like, oh, just sign up for disability, sign up for these resources. And they're not that accessible mm -hmm. and so and you know the world wasn't accessible before the pandemic all these things over zoom this is amazing for people yeah. especially with mobility related disabilities yeah. and so you know i don't think people were thinking about that ever before yeah. until it started affecting everybody else, else. all yeah. of a sudden it was like oh my gosh we have to figure out ways to make these events accessible for people mm -hmm. who can't go in person mm -hmm. and so you know i think that's just something that people should start thinking about but yeah, so I actually have a chronic lung disease, which is super terrifying during a, a lung affecting yeah. pandemic. Um, yeah, but that brings me to, to now, I guess. <laughs> you know, specifically with the internal struggle of like everything, you never know what people are going through. And like, that's yeah. something that you don't really show to the world, I feel. And I know you started off uh, with your first project a while back ago in 2018, I want to say. Oh my goodness. I think it was a, was a little bit before that. I think that's when it like, hit okay. the, the festival circuit you know sometimes these things take a, a, little, bit a little bit of time yeah I actually so I was in medical school and I used my research stipend to pay for my first film <laughs> so I was in med school med school schedule is really intense oh, and yeah, I was I already a working actress and I really loved it and I, I didn't really want to give it up but I also didn't have time to audition for sexy Latina sidekick anymore mm -hmm. I was like okay this is enough <laughs> so I made this 
short film. I wrote it really at first for my friends in class. I was like, we're just going to do this together for class. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, we should actually, you know, try to put this on tape and let's put in our reels. Mm-hmm. And then it turned into an actual film. The whole thing, I was actually in the hospital when I found out that we got into our first festival. Oh. <laughs> so like, that's where <laughs> I was starting our PR from. I know life is like that, right? As I yeah. said, like, I was up here and then life was like, okay, um, let's do it. But it's okay. Yeah, when it's a passion, yeah. like you mentioned earlier, you don't, you don't really focus on it. You just start focusing on what's next. Yeah. And yeah. And so that first film was called A Nice Guy and it was inspired by, oh, hi puppy. <laughs> I'm easily distracted when it comes to dogs, I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. And I even take her out, but this microphone just picks up everything. <laughs> I love it. Okay, if that keeps happening, you have to bring bring a doggy on. But anyway, okay, I will. <laughs> so, and it was really it was inspired by the statistics regarding domestic violence in Puerto Rico, and you know something that I like to say to people: don't think this is just like a Puerto Rican issue. This is a universal mm-hmm. issue. And not, you know, my character that I was playing, I was playing me, and I was like thinking about stuff that affected me in my life and things I had. You know, I had worked in safe havens I worked in sexual violence response and prevention and so this was really important to me to put this story in a way that I hadn't seen before and so it was really interesting because then hashtag me too blew up and it was we were in this perfect place where we were kind of ahead of the curve like we had told this story and I I really told it because I didn't think people were talking about consent and then all of a sudden everyone wanted to talk about it and I was like oh thank goodness like I was so happy that that was the case and you know I had only Latinx actors on screen and you know how Latinx people are all different colors, all different color Latinx actors on screen. We had this diversity on screen. We had diversity in our crew and people really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow, this is what I can do, especially with my intense schedule. You know, I create this piece of art and it lives on. Mm-hmm. You know, you take, it definitely is an undertaking. It takes time to make a film, but you know, I created it and then it kept living. And so I was like, oh, wow. Okay. The kind of activism I wanted to do in the past, but I don't necessarily have time to do every single weekend because I'm in the hospital like as a, as a student. And so I made something that could keep telling stories and keep bringing up these conversations. You know, we had yeah. screenings at all these festivals all over New York, all over, we in Google, in California, in Facebook, mm-hmm. New York. You know, we were sparking these really interesting conversations all over the country now. You know, even internationally we've been in festivals. So it was, it was really something that I realized could kind of fill my soul, mm-hmm. not only as an artist, but sort of what I wanted to do as an activist. I, I noticed that a lot of your films actually do have to do with some social impact, political um, aspect with it. And I really appreciate that because it, these are like, sort of say taboo topics that people don't want to talk about, they don't want to bring mm-hmm. up and or they don't know how to talk about. Um, and so you putting that in your art, you making this film, like bringing, in some aspects just awareness of it all even in a small like component is still bringing awareness to it and making it a bigger deal um because it is such a big deal like and and people don't know what resources are out there how to go about it um if it's happening to a friend what to do if it's happening to you like what to do um so so thank you for like doing that and and i know you said or you mentioned earlier um that you played the character. How is it getting that mindset and, and getting that emotion out? So I think, so I am lucky enough to have trained in my early training. 
you know, and no shade to method acting. That's one type of acting. And mm -hmm. I think it can be useful, but that wasn't our main mode of acting. And it's interesting. So if you, for people who don't know, method acting is like, you really like try to feel the thing yourself, which is mm -hmm. always the case, but this is specifically like a lot of times, you know, you think about when this happened to you and you use your own emotions and veering slightly away from that, you can't imagine this happened to you because you're not the character. Mm -hmm. that's not empathy right that's not that's sympathy right that's mm -hmm. not specific if you're going to get specific it can't be how that affected you it's how that affected that character yeah you have to literally become this other person and that's empathy thinking about how someone else would react it's not about how you would react mm -hmm. if you do that especially if it's like oh you know it's a fight scene so we're angry and i'm thinking about this time that i was angry at my uncle but if it's like a scene with across like a lover that's not the same and so, you know, it's about being specific and it's about, I think that it's, it's almost a level of compartmentalization where it's like, okay, I'm going to give myself the time mm -hmm. to be in someone else's shoes and really be in it. But at the end of the day, that's not me. That's the character. And I can come back to being me. And that's how yeah. you keep yourself healthy as an artist. And honestly, that's probably how you keep yourself healthy as yourself. Yeah. Um, you got stuff going on that's, that's life. And sometimes something I've learned is to take the time to think about it and to work through it. I think, especially in Latinx communities, we don't want to talk about touchy subjects, things that make us yeah. emotional, things that maybe affect our mental health. And it's really important to set aside that time to yeah. speak to a therapist, to speak to your family or friends, and to just sit it with it yourself. Because yeah. if you never work through it, it's just going to hold you all day long. Um, I love how you bring that up because it's completely true. And in, in our culture, like we don't talk about things that are hurting us internally. Um, so what is what are a couple of things that you do for your own self-care, your own mental um, self-care? You know, it's so challenging, especially yeah. with the pandemic, like taking a lot of those resources away. But, you know, I... I mean, I'm, they can tell that I'm a little bit social. And so like, I really like connecting with my people. And so something that I used to video chat all the time and I don't really know when I kind of fell out of that habit. And so, especially with the pandemic, again, I know that there's Zoom fatigue, but it's really important to sort of like have that FaceTime with your friends. And so what I like to do, I'll do it on Instagram. So it's like on your phone a little, it's almost like taking you away from your computer. You can sit in your yeah. bed and do it. It's, it's a little bit of a change from Zoom. And I'll do little video chats with my friends. I like to do check-ins with my friends and see how they're doing. Yeah, That's kind of my personality. I'm kind of like this mother hen personality. I've always been that way. <laughs> I like to make sure every, everyone is good around me. Um, you know, super on brand, but it's just genuinely who I am. And yeah. so that really fills me with joy, you know, and something else I like to do when it's really small is like paint my nails. <laughs> you know, there's nowhere to go. I'm not getting dressed up, but I've always liked having my nails done. It's not uh -huh. something I can always do, but it's something that like, you know, I'll just be like, okay, now's my time. I have to sit down and paint my nails. And what's good about that, you know me, I like to keep busy. Mm -hmm. If my nails are wet, I have to like, you just have to stop. Yeah. <laughs> stop using your hands. You, you have to take a moment. So it kind of forces you into that like meditative moment that I was referring to earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to mention that like when you do your nails, you have to just wait there and, and let it yeah. dry. Um, <laughs> I know for me, it's going to the movies. Like at a movie theater, I can't use my phone. I can't get up. Yes. I can't take a call. So like that's my moment of I have to be still. I have to be in the moment looking at the actual movie at the screen. Mm -hmm. you know so it takes you away from the laptop it takes you away from your phone your your work like everything else that's like busy busy and it just mm -hmm. puts you in there yeah 
and I, um, I don't know how nails, how long they take to dry, but I don't know, <laughs> send me like 15 minutes. Or, yeah. That's yeah. Good. So it's like 15 minutes of you just mm-hmm. being there for yourself and um, practicing like how to breathe. Like, what is it that I need to do next? What is it that I want to like see? Talk about your, like your goals and everything, you know, it just gives you a moment yeah. to, to think. So that. everyone should go do their nails. <laughs> exactly. Everyone. Hot pink. Hot pink. <laughs> I know a lot of people who um do just the pinky <laughs> nail. That's like hot pink for oh, good luck. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw it on, oh. uh, on TV, and then I was like, "Wait, <laughs> is this real?" That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm um, going back to your films. I know you had like again. We mentioned a couple uh, that you do like more of the political stance. And right now you have a, a film that's um, Masca. Oh, so there's Mask. Mask. Um, yeah, so we have a couple that's on the circuit right now, but the most recent one that we completed right before the pandemic was Mask. Wow. Um, and I love how that one is kind of also geared towards your own culture, a little boy who is um, Puerto Rican. And again, that um, social impact is like hyper-masculinity, which is yeah. like, huge in the in the hispanic latinx culture um specifically because we have a lot of machismo and um and people society cultures thinking that it's completely fine and like they they don't know how to get away from that so um i actually haven't seen the film because i i don't know how but (laughs) um but i know just reading the bio scene the trailer i was like whoa like this this is amazing like i love how it's being talked about now because it hasn't been talked about um, in, from my perspective, you know? Yeah, um, thank you. And, yeah. And then uh, you, have another, you have a whole bunch of other projects. Do you want to talk about some of the other yeah, ones? Yeah, yeah. So I have to give Amilcar Javier a quick shout out because he actually wrote Mask. And he is the one who won the grant this year. So he won the oh. same grant I won the year before. Nice. And, you know, it, so it's funny. He was an actor in my film the year before. And at our screening, he announced the the subject the theme for next year's grant and he was like oh this is something right up my alley you know he's part of an organization that has been you know working in that type of theme for a long time mm-hmm. and so this is something that really and this is just a little side note for anyone who's applying to a grant it's like it's really important to show that specificity as i brought up earlier and show that you're an authority in that field you know mm-hmm. the first time i won a grant I already had a film in a similar theme, right? So I showed them that I really was passionate about this yeah. and I showed them that I would execute the the pitch that I that I gave them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Amilcar, he wrote this film and he asked me to come on to direct. And so, yeah, we put this together pretty quickly. Um, that's how it works too. Like they give you the grant and they're like, okay, deadline. And yeah. we got really lucky because we shot the end of january and new york got wow. hit really hard at the beginning of march yeah yeah we were actually gonna do a pickup shoot that never happened because we were <laughs> like okay we gotta work with what we got yeah uh part of the film so this is an interesting film in that it's it's through the lens of this little boy mm-hmm. and so you know he has these outside factors he's being bullied and his mom is afraid that his father will see him cry and there's all these different layers and so so Dominican, so uh, Amilcar is actually in the Dominican Republic. And so we used a mask, uh, the Abro Coelho mask. Mm-hmm. And so the mom gives him this mask and says, okay, here, you put on this mask, you'll be able to face your bully. And throughout the film, the little boy sort of absorbs things through this colorful mask. Mm-hmm. And then it turns into this spoken word piece at the end 
And, you know, it follows this journey of this boy getting these images, getting these images and sort of absorbing everything around him. And it's really this message to other people about, you know, children learn what they live, mm -hmm. right? And so until we fix ourselves, the grownups, children aren't gonna have a different role model. They're not gonna have yeah. a different example. And, you know, we really, people, I think they think, like, how do we fix this? How do we do this? We just, we have to start these conversations young. Oh, people yeah. are afraid to have them. And again, this isn't to like demonize Latinx people. We wanted part of our culture, you know, in Puerto Rico, we call them the gigantes and Dominican Republic, Diablo Coelos. We wanted our culture in the film so that people from our culture would respond to it and, mm -hmm. and be willing to watch this, right? This isn't only happening for us. Mm -hmm. I always say we inherited patriarchal culture, right? Especially That's as true. someone from a colony, a modern day colony, mm -hmm. right? We're used to having this patriarchy above us, right? Yeah. Abusing yeah. us. And so that has to be unlearned. It, really it doesn't happen overnight. And so that's part of how Mass came to be and what we were trying to accomplish with that film. Well, no, it's, it's such a, again, a taboo topic, but you did it so beautifully. Um, and bringing in like a, a young boy who, who possibly is learning through this film, you know? Yes. Yeah. So it's great to like start that young because again, I learned about it, but it, I learned about it through my own, like um, my mom and my dad who, who were like, we want to step away from this like machismo yeah. perspective. Like we want our boys to like grow up um, being sympathetic, empathetic, uh, caring about people around them, caring about women and like learning how to respect and, and you know, treat others. Um, it really is like, yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I go to other friends houses and I'm not putting anyone on boss, but you can just see the different dynamics um, yeah. of how women are treated, how men like go into the house and like you can tell who, who really is there, um, how the guys don't really cry, uh, how they don't show emotion and mm -hmm. you're always like, not always, but they're really into this, uh, reward system of like oh look I got this uh award or I got my degree and like are you proud of me and it's like they're always proud of you like you, you shouldn't go and seek this you know like uh, I don't know in some aspects like this um do you love me component mm -hmm. because they don't know those like compassion don't know those affectionate moments and have that uh that relationship so like I'm glad that you're bringing that up it's really necessary. And it's complex, it's not easy. Exactly. And again, it's not to say that our, our parents or our ancestors are bad people. Yeah, no, no. Again, it, the, the cycle has to stop somewhere. Yeah. And it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. It's like, we have an issue, we have this issue too, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter who we learned it from, we yeah, have it. And now we have to try and address it. Exactly, now I love it. And then you have your other project, which, um, well, you have a couple other projects, but the one I'm <laughs> going to bring up right now is the Read Latinx Writers Initiative, which is amazing. And this is where I kind of went back um, earlier and said that you're not only helping yourself and getting mentors for yourself and mentoring others, you're getting that for a whole bunch of different individuals. Um, and I want to say you had 190 uh, Latinx writers have their scripts read. Like, that's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about that. And I have to toot my own horn here. That's the big difference. Yeah. I, I think, and no shade to other programs because I'm a part of other mentorship programs as a mentee and it's great. 
But one of the things that I asked of our mentors was, hey, I really want you to read their scripts. And that's not a little ask. I will be honest, it's a big ask. I was a little yeah. scared to ask some of these people. And I, I was really lucky and I was really surprised by how many people said, oh yeah, and I'm gonna send this to a few people. And really we got, you know, Verve Talent Agency became involved, WGA West was interested, like, and they, they started spreading the word and recruiting people for us. I think mentorship alone is great. Yeah. But, you know, I have people who know that I'm a nice person mm -hmm. and they can say that they can't necessarily, if they don't read my script, they can't say, oh yeah, Dominique is a really strong writer. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm lucky in that I've made my own film. So sometimes people see my, my, my films and people say, oh, Dominique can write a good story. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. But you know, this is, it's not, again, it's not easy. It's very expensive. I always yeah. say it's a lot, it's not easy but it's a lot less expensive to write a script than it is to make the, the film. Yeah. <laughs> so, and especially when it comes to television, which at the shortest would be 30 minutes. We had a, we have some animation writers, which that can be like 15 minutes, but really the shortest is really 30 minutes. Some of them are an entire hour long. Yeah. So again, as I said, it wasn't an easy ask, but I, I started, I did the work, right? And so not only do I have mentorship for these participants in my initiative, we have script reads, 190 script reads. That's a really big deal. And oh, yeah. so now when someone asks them, hey, you know, we have this, you know, all the, I, I joke that they love to cast Latinx people in the reboots. So we have this reboot and we need an actual Latinx person to make it authentic. I read this person like, mm -hmm. hey, I know that they have a good script. They're great at telling jokes. They'll make you cry. But you know what I mean? So now these people really know them and yeah. really give them recommendations. That's what we have happening. I love that. No, it, it really is. Um, a lot of reboots right now are are based with, you know, Latinx personnel. Um, <laughs> what, what was that laugh? Oh, it's just, so something, and this is something I didn't realize, uh -huh. you know, I don't always necessarily research every person involved, mm -hmm. but something that someone brought to light for me was that sometimes with these reboots, they don't actually have Latinx writers mm -hmm. they don't have latinx creators and that's why a lot of them aren't doing as well as they could because they're not mm -hmm. authentic mm -hmm. and so and you know part of what inspired me to create the read latinx writers initiative was the fact that we are the most underrepresented group mm -hmm. in the wga so the wga is the writing union so these are the people who have actually already written for television so they're in the union they've had their first job mm -hmm. and they're you know it's the numbers aren't great for anyone but some other ethnic minority groups are actually, you know, parity or a little bit above, right? They're a mm -hmm. little bit more represented than their numbers in the population. Latinx people make up the biggest ethnic minority in the country. We are actually the largest minority population. Yeah. And for some reason, we're the least represented yeah. in the WGA. It doesn't make sense because, you know, Latinx stories look like a lot of different things. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to medical school. Like I have a very specific breadth of information that I can bring with me. I don't only have to tell, look, I could tell you the little Puerto Rican girl's story all day long. Trust yeah. me, how much time you got? But I don't <laughs> have to only tell that. So there's no mm -hmm. excuse. I think if anything, we're extremely marketable mm -hmm. and people just push us aside. People disregard us, whether it's racism, whatever it is, you know, prejudice. It, People have all these things that they hold about themselves and they just assume that, I don't know, that we don't have these rich stories. But I can mm -hmm. tell you right now, I have read, so I personally matched every single one of my 190 plus mentees. 
So I read every one of their bios and I looked at who we had as mentors and I put them together based on genre and format of what they write, but also on their bio. So if I saw someone who had like a major in sociology, I paired them together with this professional writer who also, and they're, they're like, oh, wow, we got to talking about this. I was like, oh, thank goodness. That's what I was trying to do. Give you something (laughs) like a little seed for this relationship. And, you know, I reading these bios, people with the utmost like the highest level of achievements, Mm -hmm. the big, you know, some people try to say, oh, competitions don't mean anything, but some competitions do, Mm -hmm. right? I know there are a lot of them out there. The fanciest, most big deal, most reputable like competitions, we have people winning them. Yeah. So why why aren't they WGA? Why why aren't they repped? Those competitions are supposed to get you the attention. Where's the divide? Mm -hmm. It's not easy. It's especially not easy if you're writing Latinx content to win these competitions, and they are, right? You know, I'm reading these bios, Afro-Latinx who grew up in London, right? Half Afro, half Latinx, half Irish. We have so many interesting stories just, and that's just like those little identifiers, right? I haven't yeah. even gotten to the fact that so-and-so spent years traveling this country or lived here, or, you know, mm-hmm. people have so much to bring. Mm-hmm. I used to have a career as a veterinarian. I, you know what I mean? We have so many stories we can tell. Yeah. You have to give us a chance. Yeah. And how, you know, and this business is really a lot about recommendations. So a little plug for my own industry insider series. So I do a video series where I talk to established writers and they tell us how they got into the industry. And so I kind of supposed to help people have a blueprint, but there's not one way. And one thing I will say, I, I interviewed the showrunner of the Selena series, the upcoming Netflix series. And he said it, he said almost every single person in the writer's room came through a referral. Mm-hmm. He said maybe two that weren't. And th- those people still had to have agents and managers. He's like, oh yeah, two people came from agents and managers. But everyone, would, I had a personal referral. How do you get those personal referrals mm-hmm. if you're not in LA, if you're not already in the union, if you don't already have your first job, if you don't know the right people, if your uncle isn't in the business? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't always have those, as I said, those resources. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of been my, my, my life goal mm-hmm. here to, to create them, right? I love that. No, it's... um. I have a couple individuals who are writers and just to get into the Writers Guild of America, like that's hard for them. And, uh, you know, you're fortunate that you were able to like produce and direct and film your own stuff. And I know a lot of people feel discouraged when they hear about that um, financial component of like, how much is it going to be to like actually produce this, to go through with this? So the thing I will say to that, because mm -hmm. I'm very lucky I've had a lot of opportunities, but I definitely didn't start there, <laughs> right? I wasn't like, as I said, like, I don't have like an uncle who's a producer who like gave me anything. Mm-hmm. I I didn't necessarily get encouraged to do this. I kind of decided one day I'm going to do this. So I did mm-hmm. it. So while in medical school, I used my research stipend because I was working over the summer and used mm-hmm. that to fund my first film, right? <laughs> and of course, and it's expensive. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but I kind of took a chance in myself and something yeah. that I, I learned, especially when I graduated from college, I was so afraid of finances. I didn't want to spend money on anything. And I think that kind of, again, also I really, I did want to go to med school. So I was kind of putting all my resources there and I never had like even a penny left over. And I think that kind of put me behind. If I had like started a little bit earlier, maybe I'd be even farther. And, you know, I think education is really important. 
And so sometimes you have to take a loan, right? So I think it's a really good idea to go to college. I know it's not for everybody, but I think it's a really smart idea. You grow as a person, you network. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you major in, go. Yeah. It's a really good idea. It's, a, it's such a great idea. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have that opportunity. But the same way, you know, I don't even want to get into what I did sometimes, right? To be able to afford to do that, mm-hmm. I had to invest in me as a creative. Mm-hmm. I think I was taught like education is the key. Education is the key. And I kind of forgot that like, if I want to be a creative, I have to invest in that education too. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I put, I invested in my first film. My second film was a 24 hour film challenge. No money at all. 25 of my med school classmates volunteered to be in this film, you know, and as you said, it had a social impact. People jumped on because we made that film directly into in the response to the proposed repeal of DACA. And I was like, that's not a good idea. Um, and I told people like, hey, we want to make this film in response to this. And people jumped on. People mm-hmm. let me use their homes. You know, and part of that, you know, I am who I am. You have to give to get, right? Oh, yeah. I've always been a generous person. I'm a kind person. And so when someone really nice calls you up and is like, hey, can you volunteer three hours to be in this film that's has this social message, people say yes, yeah. right? And I don't do it a lot. You don't, you don't ask people for favors all the time. Um, <laughs> but when I did, and I actually think that was an amazing education for me. Mm-hmm. I, I did a couple of films with no money, just my friends who wanted to also build. And that's how I learned. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily, I didn't go to film school. Yeah. That would have been, I was like, all right, I already got med school loans. I can't be taking out film school loans. Yeah. And so what I did was I volunteered to work for free for all of the film school kids in New York. We have some great film schools here. Yeah. And I said, you need, and I, you know, I do something called AD. I assistant direct. I say, hey, do you need an AD? I do this. And then people started to, oh yeah, Dominique is great. Dominique is great. And then people let, and, and I would do production design. You know, you start your first few jobs you do for free, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. But you give up a few weekends and you learn. Yeah. And then your fourth time, it's like, well, you know, I need a little bit of money now because I've already done this job a couple of times, right? Yeah. And now you have a side hustle. So again, you know, it's really about investing in yourself. If you are lucky enough to have a cell phone, you can make a short film. Maybe it won't be, it won't be your Oscar winning film. That's okay. Because how do you expect your first film to be your Oscar winning film? You have mm-hmm. to learn. You have That's to take your phone. You have to figure out how to frame things, how you want to tell stories, right? How does your eye tell the story? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, some, some people think there's like a right way and there's some people who are really pretentious about it. There are things that I think are better than others, sure, but you have to decide what you are saying artistically. Yeah. So, and you can do this, go on YouTube. There's some really amazing artists on YouTube who share their filmmaking journeys. You know, I have my industry insider, but you'll, you'll see people, they literally make films with action figures. You don't even need the actors. Yeah. Your first film, if you take your action figure and you go, hey, I'm Dominique, hey, I'm Alexis, and then you record those shots and you go into, and it can be iMovie, go into iMovie and edit it mm-hmm. and notice, hmm, my continuity is really off and I was just using action figures. Oh, those two lines, those two shots don't really line up together. This angle, what is it telling me? Now, and you know, get some free music off the internet, which you can mm-hmm. do, they have free music put it in, you start learning all these little skills. Yeah. You know, you look at the frame, this frame is really empty. It would have been nice if I had something in the background yeah. about the character, that's production design. And I think, you know, you don't have to be the best at every single thing, but I like having a little bit of knowledge of all of the roles because that's how I can be a good director on set. Yeah, that's, you know, that's helped sure. me out 
Um, you know, understanding what your crew is going through, <laughs> you know, understand that your crew needs more time for something, you know, being an AD made me really prepared. Yeah. And yeah, all of that I did, as I always said, uh, I made it myself. Yeah. <laughs> right. People are like, how did, how did you get that? So someone asked me like, wait, industry insider, how did you get it? And I was like, yeah. I literally made it myself. <laughs> This wraps up part one of our episode with Dominique Nieves. Come back and check out part two. Thank you for checking out this episode of Communications AF. To be kept up to date with the latest episodes, please subscribe here on YouTube or on your favorite podcast apps and follow us on Instagram at Communications AF. I hope to communicate with you all soon AF.